What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And the Democrats are going to Milwaukee for the 2020 convention right in the heartland, bringing Wisconsin back. Hey, hello, everybody. Here we go on a Tuesday. Yep, it is Tuesday, March 12, 2019. This is the Bill Press Show, and we are so glad to see you today as we... Uh, gather around the radio or the computer or the television screen uh, to take a look at the latest news of the day. Everything has gone on since the last time we talked and uh, analyze it from our progressive point of view with the help of our good guest and with all of you as we take a look from our studio in Capitol Hill. That's what's happening here in Washington, D.C., what's happening around the country What's happening around the globe? And again, tell us what it all means to you. Uh, Donald Trump unveiling his budget. We uh, previewed a little bit of it yesterday. Unveiling his budget yesterday. It is the largest budget ever in history, $4.7 trillion, with the biggest budget deficit ever in history, $22 trillion, from a president who promised that he was going to balance the budget in four years. Another broken promise by the liar-in-chief. Send us your comments on the news of the day, anything we're talking about uh, on Twitter, at BP Show. Again, your comments always welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Lots to talk about, but first... This is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. Let's go to Port Newark where authorities were conducting a routine inspection aboard the shipping uh, uh, ship, the Carlotta. The Carlotta was the name Mm -hmm. of it. They noticed that there was one shipping container that looked like the pin that holds the door closed was doctored. Well, they took a look inside, and they found some dried fruit. Mm -hmm. Then they moved the dried fruit out of the way, and they found 
60 tightly wrapped bundles of cocaine. Each of these bundles were about the size of a small trunk. All told, they brought out 3,200 pounds, or 1.6 tons, of cocaine. Big bust. $77 million worth. $77 right. million dollars worth of cocaine. And you know what I say? That's why we need that wall. That's right. Because that's where the drugs are coming in. All these drugs pouring into our uh, over our borders, right? Oh, yeah. In the backpacks of the, uh, of, <laughs> of the immigrants coming across the southern border. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. So yesterday we talked about Elizabeth Warren and how she's becoming the candidate of big ideas. She talked about breaking up the tech giants, including Facebook. Well, uh, yesterday, Facebook actually removed several advertisements from Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign calling for the breakup of tech tech giants. (laughs) So she put, you know, this stuff out there. This is what I want to do. She bought ads on Facebook. She put them on Facebook and Facebook took them down. Temporarily, they point out. They did put them back up eventually, but that's a scary story. That is a scary story. You know, we yeah, talk about all yeah. the influence that social media has on politics these days. Uh, that's that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Also, the Women's World Cup is coming up, uh, Bill, just a couple of months. But yesterday, the women of the uh, U.S. Uh, women's national team announced that they are joining a federal lawsuit alleging gender discrimination. What they're saying is they're getting paid a lot less than the men's soccer team, which oh, is yeah. true. Oh, which no. is true. Absolutely, yeah. And this oh. has been a problem for a while now. and There's been a lot of reporting on it. They've spoken out about it, but they are actually joining a lawsuit, filing a lawsuit. 28 members of the current U.S. women's national team joined this lawsuit, so we'll see what happens. No, I think it's great. I the, think it's wonderful. The men get paid like ten times what the women do, it's and great. they didn't even win, they didn't win last year, and the women won, and yeah. they got paid peanuts. Yeah, they're no. not nearly as good as the women's team. The right. Men this is the Bill Press Show. The ultimate put-down of Donald Trump. Should we impeach him? Nancy Pelosi says he's not worth it. Whoa. She knows how to hurt a guy. He's not even worth impeaching. Hey, what do you say, everybody? It's the Bill Press Show here on a Tuesday. Special Tuesday edition, March 12, 2019. Coming to you live from... Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio in Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action. We are right here where things are happening. Can't miss it from our point of view here, just down the street from the United States Capitol building and uh, just a few metro metro stops away from the White House, where I was yesterday for the first briefing at the White House in 42 days, and we'll tell you all about it. Good to join you today, and thank you for joining us as we hopscotch around the globe with the news of the day online, on the radio, and on television. Joining you online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining in there, and don't forget that's also where you find our podcast uh, in the afternoon. Well, as soon as the show is finished, podcast is up. You can watch and listen to the entire show or any part of the show. 
It, it, uh, by the way, it goes the up. It goes up right after the show. So if you're yeah. in Chicago, boom. Let's say you're only able to listen to the last half hour of the show. You want to hear the rest? We put the podcast up for yeah, you. That's what put it's the there podcast for. Up. Take advantage of that. Also, thank you for joining us on the radio in Indiana, on statewide, on Indiana Talks, uh, and in uh, Chicago, the great city of Chicago, and all the uh, roundabout Chicago on the great WCPT. On television, look at you on Free Speech TV looking good this morning. Yes, indeed. Big announcement by the Democrats yesterday. We talked a lot yesterday with Associate Inahosa about the debates. We didn't talk about the where the National Convention was going to be, uh, but they announced it shortly after our show yesterday uh, with Chairman Tom Perez out in Milwaukee. It got down to Miami versus uh, or Miami and I think maybe Houston, wasn't it? Or anyhow, versus uh, Milwaukee. You know, and one consideration was um, in July and August that Miami might have been mm, not that comfortable. Right. Um, so, uh, Although they do have great beaches there. So, like, you know, I'm not sure what the beaches are like in Milwaukee, but it would have been nice to <laughs> hit the beach after the convention. The convention is not a walk at the beach. Right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, but Milwaukee, a little more comfortable weather-wise, and uh, they're a little worried about the hotel space. But they have a, a brand new stadium there, uh, and I think it's very smart to go to the Heartland. It is the first time since 1916 that the Democratic Convention has been held in the Heartland outside of Chicago. There have been a couple in Chicago. I've been to a couple in Chicago, at least one or no two that I remember in Chicago. Uh, but um, the first time they've gone anywhere in the heartland outside Chicago since 1916. I think this is a good move. That's amazing. Isn't it, That's terrifying yeah. to yeah, think that is. they missed that for 100 years. Yeah, right. 1916 was the last time anywhere in the in Midwest. So uh, very, very smart move, I believe, on the part of the DNC. Uh, Tom um, Perez yesterday, Chairman Perez, this is all about democracy. Democracy's on fire. It's a five-alarm blaze. And we have first responders in this room and elsewhere prepared to take back our democracy. Mm, not sure what that means, but at any rate, he's glad to be in Milwaukee, I think, is a translation there. That's, that's what I took from uh, And the governor of Wisconsin, the new governor uh, of Wisconsin, Tony Evers, uh, we're happy to host. The ability for us to showcase Wisconsin as a place where we value diversity and inclusivity and value young people, we can do that with this convention. That is so important for the state of Wisconsin. Mr. Excitement, Tony Evers, uh, the new governor of Wisconsin. And Look, I, 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 I think Tony Evers is great. I think it's wonderful that they replaced Scott Walker, uh, <laughs> all of that. I just hope he doesn't give like a keynote speech uh, <laughs> at the DNC in Milwaukee because he is not an exciting guy. No, he'll just go out and say, welcome to Milwaukee. Okay, now we turn it over to. <laughs> we, there are a lot of exciting speakers on the Democratic Party. He is not one of them. He will not be the keynote speaker. I can guarantee you that to the, uh, to the convention. Uh, so uh, I guess bottom line is uh, Hillary Clinton uh, did not go to Wisconsin um, this year in 2020. The Democrats will take their convention to Wisconsin, which is a very, very smart move. Uh, yep, the budget is out. I uh, hope you were as thrilled as I was just there. I did go down to the White House uh, for the briefing, first by the uh, 
started out with a briefing by the acting budget director. Uh, notice the key word there, acting budget director, who was probably asked to come in by the acting uh, chief of staff uh, and because they couldn't get the acting uh, defense secretary uh, nor the acting attorney general. No, that's right. We do have a new attorney general. But at any rate, there's so many people walking around with the phrase acting in front of their name tag. Uh, so Russell Vaught, who's the uh, budget director, uh, th this budget is, first of all, it's DOA. I mean, and just about, to be fair, just about every president's budget is DOA, meaning Congress has the authority to appropriate the money. Congress spends what it wants to. Uh, the president's budget is really just a matter of suggestions and the president's priorities. But that's what's important uh, and I think significant about this budget is Donald Trump's priorities. No matter what they tell you, what no, no matter how what spin they try to put on it yesterday, uh, for a president, a candidate who promised to reduce the size of government, as Republicans always do, uh, cut spending, balance the budget, get rid of the deficit, this budget is just the opposite. It's the biggest budget ever in American history, $4.7 trillion. Uh, it, it, and it brings and delivers the biggest deficit ever. It was $20 trillion deficit when Donald Trump took over 20, uh, in his first year, $21 trillion last year. This year's deficit, $22 trillion which again, Russell Vaught said, well, you know, we do what we can. He just had no, he had no answer for how uh, he could justify uh, increasing that, 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 um, that, that deficit. Um, no doubt what the president's priorities are, as I said, that's what the budget uh, document is all about. Uh, for example, uh, the cuts in the budget cuts EPA 31%, cuts the State Department 24% cuts transportation, 19%, agriculture, 15%, Interior Department, 14%, Labor Department, 10%. But the Pentagon goes up from $715 billion to $750 billion, a 5% increase, of course, in the Pentagon, which is more than the Pentagon has asked for, more than the Pentagon needs, more than the Pentagon wants for Donald Trump. It's just keep throwing money at the military so he can brag about rebuilding the military as if it needed rebuilding. I, I keep thinking about the Obama line that he used several times. We're going to use a scalpel while others want to use a hatchet. Mm -hmm. This is Donald Trump using a hatchet. <laughs> yeah, this is the hatchet. Uh, by the way, it also increases the budget for the Department of Homeland Security, of course, wall, can you say wall, uh, by 7%. And in this budget, having failed to get, as we discussed yesterday, having failed to get the $7 billion from Congress, shutting down the government for 35 days, trying to get it and not getting $1 out of that shutdown. Uh, Donald Trump in this budget asked for, mm -hmm, yeah, even more, $8.6 billion uh, to build his stupid wall. One thing uh, you can say about him is he doesn't give up, <laughs> right? <laughs> he, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. I mean, <laughs> uh, and he's not going to get his $8.6 billion. Uh, either that budget is really going nowhere. Um, interesting comments by uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi yesterday in an interview on the with the uh, Washington Post. 
she was asked about impeachment. And the speaker said, you know, and bef before she has said it's not our first priority, we're going to see what Robert Mueller comes up with. And certainly if Robert Mueller uh, has charges that are serious about, uh, about collusion with Russia or obstructing justice, that then they'll let the process move forward, take its course, normal course, starting in the House Judiciary Committee. Yesterday she was – so what she's trying to do is saying, let's not just rush into impeachment. Yesterday she went even farther. Um, the uh, speaker said that she was actually against impeachment. She thought it would be too divisive for the country um, and that she actually, in the worst put-down possible for Donald Trump, said he wasn't worth it. He wasn't worth it going through the whole process of taking all that time to impeach him. In other words, I think she's saying, let's just, we'll just boot him out in 2020 and not, not, and not bother wasting our time and spending so much time on impeachment. Uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, so the speaker gave her comments um, in, in print, basically. Yeah, it was in the Washington Post. In the Washington no Post, audio. no audio. Uh, Adam Schiff was asked and uh, basically agrees with the speaker. In the absence of very graphic evidence, uh, it would be difficult to get the support in the Senate uh, needed to make an impeachment successful. Uh, so again, you know, my feeling is let's see what Bob Mueller produces, um, but uh, the evidence will have to be uh, pretty overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, uh, by the way, I think it's very smart for the Democrats to proceed with their legislative agenda, uh, proceed with the oversight hearings, Wait for the Mueller report, and then see what happens. Uh, that's that that that's, I think that's the right order, the right emphasis. Impeachment is always out there as a possibility, but not to not to make that their first priority. They got other things. They got other fish to fry. And Robert Mueller's on the job. So is the Southern District of New York. So is the Attorney General of New York. Um, and so is, by the way, Elijah Cummings and Jerry Nadler. Now, if heaven forbid. Uh, Donald Trump wins re-election and the Democrats still have control of the House but also gain control of the Senate, then maybe I hope, you know, the tune changes a little bit. Uh, then, if I could, I would quote Rashida Tlaib. <laughs> well, you can't quote her on the I air. I can't quote her on the I air. I know what you mean. <laughs> I can't quote her on the air. <laughs> oh, man, I got to tell you, there is so much, so much go go going on. Um, well, one thing. All right, breaking news. Do we have a breaking news sounder here? Right. Yeah, totally. Breaking news. Perfect. I actually agree with Donald Trump on something. Oh, I know what this is. Breaking news. He tweeted it out yesterday. Mm -hmm. You got the tweet. I'm, I'm pulling it. I'm, it. I'm pulling it up uh, uh, it because is, I saw it and I, you and I uh, had the same yeah, reaction. Yeah, it is astounding. Here yeah. it is. Here, here it, is. it is. Okay, but you know, let's, we know even a blind pig can find a truffle once in a while. Okay, so here it is. This is it. Donald Trump tweeting yesterday at 10:17 a.m. Making daylight saving time <laughs> permanent is okay with me. All right. All right. He's right. There it is. He's yeah. right. Right. I, you're not going to hear us say that very often. It happens every once in a blue moon, but Donald Trump is correct. On that, but by the way, 
Do we have to put up with all the other crap you know, just to get that one little <laughs> nugget of truth out of Donald Trump? Uh, hey, if he, if he like, declared a national emergency declaration on making daylight saving time <laughs> permanent, yeah. I'd be with him on that. Yeah, I I'd be with him could, on that. They could do that. All right. Uh, now, one other thing we want to uh, clear up, uh, however, is, um, okay, Tim Apple. Did he say it or didn't he say it? Okay, we talked about this yesterday. So... This is so silly that the White House is spending so much time. Obviously, the president made a blooper, right? He was talking to this group, and he was talking about referencing Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, and he slipped, and he said, Tim Apple, and somebody picked it up and reported it, and Trump went wild, accusing the media of fake news, that's not true. I actually said Tim Cook Apple. Tim Cook Apple. And they didn't hear the cook. Can we play that again? Just to, uh, Sure. Yes. Yeah, so this, this is the clip. This, this is, is the clip, clip in question. Right. Do we appreciate it very much, Tim Apple? Uh, Tim Apple. He Do we appreciate it very much, Tim Apple? There so, it is. No. Tim so Apple. they reported it correctly. Sounds like one so, word. Tim Apple. But BFD, he made a little slip. We all do that. We all say funny things sometimes and just slip up. We're going talking too fast or whatever. And instead of just acknowledging that, he accused the media again of being a fake news. Well, everybody played the clip and they knew that he did say it, Tim Apple. So now he has a different take on it. Yeah. Okay. He did it, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, this is this was the tweet right before he tweeted about daylight saving time. Uh, he said at a recent roundtable meeting of business executives, and long after formally introducing Tim Cook of Apple, I quickly referred to Tim plus Apple as <laughs> Tim Apple as an easy way to save time and words. The fake news was disparagingly all over this. And it became yet another bad Trump story. We appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. There you go. <laughs> there it is. There's the explanation. Right. So now he did it to save time. Yeah. Right. Busy guy. Right. This is a man. <laughs> By the way, I talked to our friend Cameron Joseph yesterday, uh, who was uh, at the briefing. He, he was uh, White House pool yesterday. Uh, and um, <laughs> he said, you know, Trump showed up about noon, right? So the man who takes all this executive time, hours of executive time every day, he didn't have enough time to say Tim Cook of Apple. He had to, he said, he, he was so short on time, he had to say Tim Apple. Tim Apple. Right. So the Washington Post, their, what do they call it, the fact, uh, the fixed, Oh, the Pinocchio's guy? Yeah. I forgot what they call it, but it's their fact checker. Their fact checker. Yeah, yeah their fact checker. So he checked how long it would, how much time you would save if you said Tim Apple instead of Tim Cook Apple. Uh, the Washington Post calculates it as 0 0.407 seconds. Hey, man. Hey. MTV, my time is valuable. What he could have done with that, you know. 0 0.407 seconds. Think of everything he could have gotten done. Yeah. He started a war in that time. I mean, <laughs> right. Donald Trump. Yeah. All right. But uh, the big news yesterday was the briefing. Uh, so it's the first briefing in 42 days. So I figured I had to go, and I went. Let me tell you, I discovered one thing. The only thing worse than having 
no briefing in 42 days is having one briefing in 42 days because yesterday was a disaster on so many fronts. I, it started out, as I mentioned, with uh, the acting budget director, Russell, Russell Vaught, uh, trying to put the best spin and make the best arguments for the president's budget, where most of the time he spent defending the fact that they were increasing uh, the deficit yet again up to $22 trillion and doing nothing about it. Uh, and then Sarah Huckabee Sanders took over, and boy, it was it was ugly. It was uh, very uh, hostile, not just tense. It was openly hostile uh, on several issues, and she just refused to uh, answer questions. Uh, the one question was about uh, how about the um, how could he take time in August in the Oval Office, August 2018, to write a check for $35,000 to Michael Cohen when he had told us he knew nothing about payments to Michael Cohen. Uh, so any, for any other administration, that would be like a huge problem for the White House. Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, I don't know anything about any checks. Boom. Next question. <laughs> I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Basically, that was her answer, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, okay, Paul Manafort, is he or is he not going to get uh, a pardon? I mean, here's a guy convicted, he's going to jail for four years. He's going to be, he's going to be sentenced again this year and probably get more jail. I mean, this week and probably get more jail time. The president's former campaign manager. The idea that the president would pardon this convicted felon. Uh, again, any other administration? Whoa, you know, I mean, be a major scandal. Uh, here's, here's how Sarah Huckabee Sanders just totally dismisses that. The president has made his position on that clear. He'll make a decision when he's ready. He'll make a decision when he's ready. Sounds, which sounds how is that news? How is that something that, that like they feel the need to come out and push to the media? Which sounds to me like um, he's going to pardon him. Yeah. But he's just going to do it in his good time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right. Uh, he'll probably do it sometime when he could save 0.407 seconds by doing it. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and the big, the, where, where, where most of the contention came, where uh, in a uh, in, re in re response to or in reference to a speech that uh, Donald Trump gave over the weekend down in Mar-a-Lago to a group of Republican donors, where the president said, quote unquote, that Democrats do not like Jewish people. John Carl started off the briefing by asking her part of the briefing by asking Sarah Huckabee Sanders, does Donald Trump really believe that Democrats hate Jews? Pretty direct question. Does Donald Trump really believe that Democrats hate Jews? Sarah Huckabee Sanders won't answer. That's a question, frankly, I think you should ask Democrats what their position is, since they're unwilling to call this what it is and call it out by name and take actual action <laughs> against members. Uh, again, she's referencing the comments by uh, Congresswoman Elon Omar, which was condemned in a resolution, which were condemned by, in a resolution by uh, overwhelmingly by the House of Representatives, Democrats and Republicans. But notice, she's saying that's a question you have to ask Democrats. In other words, 
if you have to ask, you have to ask Democrats, does Donald Trump really believe that Democrats hate Jews? No, that's a question only Donald Trump can answer. Democrats can't answer. And so she tries to duck that. Uh, Hallie Jackson, to her credit, came back later in the briefing uh, and said, you didn't answer John Carl's question, so before I go into anything else, I would like an answer to that question. Does Donald Trump believe that Democrats hate Jews? Yes or no? Yes or no? It, it Like four times she tried to get Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Just answer that question. Yes or no, Sarah Huckabee Sanders wouldn't answer it. Instead, she goes out and throws out um, late-term abortion into it, uh, accusing Democrats of that as well. The real uh, shame in all of this is that Democrats are perfectly capable of coming together and agreeing on the fact that they're comfortable ripping babies straight from a mother's womb or killing a baby after birth, but they have a hard time condemning the type of comments from Congresswoman Omar. Uh, I think that is a great shame. Uh, and somebody in the back of the room hollered. So is that a yes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, let me tell you, it's, it, it's, it's so hard to, to sit there and sit there through these briefings. I can't believe uh, you haven't been thrown out. I, I, I know. I, yesterday I must, I, I congratulate myself. I did not <laughs> shout out loud. I did not groan. I really tried to be on my, uh. Best really, behavior. You've really grown, Bill. <laughs> you've really matured. <laughs> but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole the whole thing is so ridiculous. Uh, as somebody pointed out yesterday, um, me, the, the not that you even have to defend this, um, but maybe somebody could point out to Donald Trump. I mean, first of all, saying things like that is unworthy of a president of the United States. Uh, it is still part of Donald Trump's effort to divide, divide, divide. Uh, and um, I think it just reflects that Donald Trump knows he's got a problem. 32 out of 34 Jewish members of Congress are Democrats. That's just not a coincidence. Uh, 75% of American Jews voted for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. I just saw this morning 79% of American Jews voted for Democrats in the 2018 midterm elections and not for Republicans. Uh, so the Democrats have a long, long relationship with American Jews, support from American Jews, support for the country of Israel under President Obama and President Clinton and Hillary Clinton uh, and Donald Trump trying to drive this wedge is just not going to work. It's disgusting. And uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders just trying to fan the flames yesterday. I guess, final question, Peter. Would you fly on a 737 MAX 8? Apparently not. Whoa. That's pretty, you know, uh, it's interesting that some 22 airlines, and I forget how many countries now, have stopped flights of that particular plane, which is Boeing's new plane, um, on Ethiopian Airlines. Right. I have to tell you. Um, <clears throat> so our family has a little trip planned this summer to Africa. Yeah. On Ethiopian Airlines. Oh, geez. Makes you think twice oh, about what kind of aircraft they're flying. Yeah. 
That's yeah. scary. Yeah. It's not the airlines, by the way. That airlines has a great reputation uh, for safety and for comfort and um, considered the best of all the African airlines, airlines for sure, one of the best in the world, not digging them. But Boeing's got some serious problems after, after the Lion uh, Airlines uh, crash in Indonesia. Same aircraft, brand new aircraft, and now a brand new aircraft with Ethiopian Airlines. Uh, and uh, I think we need some answers on that before people feel comfortable. Uh, the, the airline with more of these new planes from Boeing than anybody else is Southwest. And Southwest oh, has a great safety record. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, but that's scary. Yeah. But it does raise a question. Especially in an era uh, of Donald Trump trying to roll back regulations left and right, you know. I mean, the, the airline regulations are invaluable <laughs> in this country for obvious reasons, right? And, uh, yeah, that's just that's scary. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so there are still questions about, uh, in, in terms of uh, the budget being released yesterday, about how well this economy is really doing well, we know one thing, the people that, one, one group of Americans that are really benefiting from this economy, maybe exclusively, uh, is the billionaire class. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Paul Garofalo, who's got a new book out called The Billionaire Boondoggle, How Politicians Let Corporations and Bigwigs Steal Our Money and Jobs. Just how bad is it? We'll find out. Quick break. We'll be right back with uh, Pat Garofalo. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, March 12, uh, the Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., booming out to you nationwide on the radio, online, and on television, uh, coast to coast. It's great to see you today, as we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, members of the Iron Workers Union, under President uh, Eric Dean. They are building America's communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. Now, if Congress ever gets its act together and passes an infrastructure bill, uh, check out their website in the meantime at ironworkers.org. Um, we've been uh, pumping it out here for the last uh, half hour uh, and enjoy always hearing from you. Let's uh, check in there, Peter. Yes, indeed. Lots of comments. As you can imagine, uh, the people on Twitter uh, are split over Nancy Pelosi's ah, decision yes, to take impeachment yes. completely off the table. Uh, KG says that Trump is so destructive to our democracy that Pelosi is again shirking her constitutional duty to impeach for high crimes. But then again, G. Kane says, I agree with Pelosi. Clinton impeachment failed, and the result was Gingrich lost the House. Clinton popularity shot up to 70 percent, and he got reelected. We don't want that to happen to Donald Trump. Fair point. By the way, you know, Nancy Pelosi took impeachment off the table, I would say, wink, wink, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. The Mueller report comes out with something solid, explosive. Yeah. Impeachment will be boom. Sure. It won't take long to... To gear it up. We also read Donald Trump's tweet about how he just used the phrase. We appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. Uh, Tim Apple to save time. To save time because he's, you know, such a busy guy. Oh, yeah. Chris Ferry says, 
Donald Trump could talk for two hours at CPAC, and now he wants to save time and words with Tim Apple? It's <laughs> a very good point. That is a good That's point. That's a very right. good point. But if you have any uh, comments. Did I tell you I saw Jeff Amazon at uh, the Gridiron Dinner? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tim Apple, Jeff Amazon. If you have any comments on any Mark topic Facebook. at any time, you can find us on Twitter, at BP Show. And just a quick update, because yesterday- Did he call Rex Stillman Rex Exxon? Rex Exxon. Or maybe Rexxon. 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 Uh, we did have a poll up yesterday. <laughs> time. Uh, do you agree with Elizabeth Warren oh, that yes. big tech companies like Amazon, Google, and Facebook need to be broken up? <laughs> uh, no real surprise here. 73% of you say yes. 18% of you say no. 9% of you are undecided. Find us on Twitter at BP Show. At BP Show. Uh, that story, the comments there, uh, Peter, about the uh, high tech companies and the billionaires and the uh, new billionaires who are about to be created as Uber and Lyft and others go public gets us right to uh, our next topic here and a exciting new book that comes out just today, launched today, uh, called The Billionaire Boondoggle. Love the title, Billionaire Boondoggle. Uh, how politicians let corporations and bigwigs steal our money and jobs Pat Garofalo from the Center for American Progress, author, in studio with us. Hi, Pat. It's good to see you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And congratulations. Uh, so this this is, we have a billionaire president, right, a billionaire cabinet, and an economy that doesn't do much for the middle class, but is really good for billionaires and millionaires, right? Absolutely. We've we, been, we live in the billionaire era. Yeah, we have been told a story for decades that the way to create jobs in America and to build a sustainable economy is to throw as much money at big corporations and rich people as possible, and eventually they are going to be really nice with all that money and spend it on creating some jobs and you know expanding factories and doing whatever it is rich people do, and that's going to benefit the rest of us. How long has that myth been around, right? I mean, did it start with... Uh... Ronald Reagan and the trickle down. You know, you can theory. actually say it started with America itself. The very first corporate tax break in American history was given to Alexander Hamilton in 1791. Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> and here we're celebrating him on stage. <laughs> yep, he was given a, uh, I believe, 10 year property tax break to build a uh, manufacturing park in Patterson, New Jersey. And within five years, they were doing no manufacturing at all there. So this is a myth that goes back to the very beginning of the country. Right. Uh, how many? What percent? You talk about tax 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 breaks. I mean, we know what we don't know whether Donald Trump paid his fair share of taxes. Everybody suspects he did not, which is why he won't release his tax returns. But across the board, I mean, they are either either their corporations or they themselves uh, are big tax cheats, aren't they? Just as a class. There's that, but also stuff that's totally and completely legal that right. we're just doing yeah. for awful guess, policy reasons. Right. I, I um, guess that's a better way of putting it. The, the law really does favor them. Absolutely. Um, my For my book, um, specifically, I looked at what states and cities give to big corporations, oh. not even the federal level. Yeah, um, And right. it's tens of billions of dollars a year. Some people <laughs> say it's $40 billion. You see estimates up to $90 billion. Um, and part of the reason that that— Where are they coming in, in, for, in what form? So this is grants given to companies to move places. This is property tax breaks. The biggest recent example is Amazon. 
for their second headquarters where they right. were, New York was going to give them some $3 billion. Virginia here, right across the river, is uh, going to give them some billion dollars um, in tax breaks to build a new headquarters there. Um, and this stuff goes on all over all the time. The unique thing about the Amazon example is that we heard about it. But usually these deals go on under the radar, totally under the table. No one ever hears about them until it's too late. Uh, don't we do the same for sports team? I mean, we do. The oh, same absolutely. For... Yeah, we we pay to build sports stadiums for billionaire sports owners all the time. One of the reasons I got for into the billionaire book... sports owners to make even more money. Yeah, one right? of the reasons I got into the book was because back during the Great Recession, I was covering the economic policy beat. The world was falling apart around our ears. The financial crisis had just happened. And I saw Detroit was, at the same time it was threatening to cut public worker pensions, was building a hockey arena for the owner of the Detroit Red Wings, who is a legit billionaire. Went, that seems kind of strange. That's an odd set of priorities for a city that's literally going into bankruptcy to have. Um, and that happens all over, all the time, and not just in the sports arena. We give money to big corporations to just do their thing. And so this a billionaire class is hurting so much that Republicans had to pass a giant tax cut for them in December 2017. How'd that work out? First of all, who benefited from that tax cut? <laughs> exactly who you'd expect. I mean, it worked out exactly in the way that folks like me and folks on the left side of the economic analysis chart said. The corporations pocketed the money. They bought back lots of shares to enrich their executive class. They didn't spend that much money to create jobs or to open new facilities. And that makes sense, right? If you think about why a company is going to create jobs, it's going to create jobs when it senses that there is, it's going to have more customers. You only sold 15 widgets this year, and you only think you're going to sell 15 widgets next year. Mm -hmm. You're not going to hire anybody else. You're not going to open a new factory. If you think you're going to sell 15 widgets this year and 35 widgets next year, okay, yeah, maybe then we do something. That has nothing to do with the tax rate you're paying or the cash grants you get or your property tax rate. It's based on demand. If there's going to be more customers, you're going to do more stuff. And if there isn't, you're not. Right. And isn't it true also that um, uh, I, I was reading one article uh, yesterday about the, the fact that that um, the economy has grown like Donald Trump promised, what, 5% or something like that? It's been, I mean, 12, 14, who knows? It, it, yeah, it right. changes every yeah. day. But 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 that it's growing so little. One of the reasons that I think this was Larry Summers, actually former uh, Treasury Secretary, uh, his, his one of his comments. Well, one of the reasons it hasn't grown fast enough is that so much from the tax cut and the benefits have gone to the very wealthiest people in the country who spend less of their income than average middle class Americans do. When they get a raise or they get a little extra money, they go out and buy something. Exactly. Right? I mean, this uh, is... these people, the billionaires, they they don't need anything. Yeah, they right? sock it away. It winds up in a tax haven. You know, yeah, it goes into right. a to an unnamed bank account in the Cayman Islands, um, and that makes sense. If you want to stimulate spending, we had the same exact debate post Great Recession, like during post financial crisis during the Great Recession, about the stimulus bill. Right? What's the most effective way to stimulate the economy? Give money to people who actually need it and who are going to go and spend it right away and not just stick it in a bank account or stick it in a tax haven. Right. You know, maybe they'll deign to buy a yacht somewhere along the way. Um, it's the same exact debate. Giving money to rich people as a percentage of their spending doesn't really do anything. Or, or give to people who are going to use that money to create jobs. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So when you look at the, we haven't had a chance to um, at least um, most of us haven't to really examine it in detail, but look at the, what you know of the president's budget yesterday. 
But it's more of the same, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's you know doubling down on the tax bill and then cutting the stuff that is actually going to help people get by in their lives and spend money. I mean, this, it's this same philosophy that I've been talking about, right? If we just rain money down on high onto rich folks, eventually it will trickle down to the rest of us. It's, it's the same thing we've seen over and over and over from conservatives. Right. Uh, again, the book is just out today, so uh, strike while the iron is hot here. Uh, you know, where anywhere you buy books, your local independent bookstore, hopefully, or online. The Billionaire Boondoggle, St. Martin's Press, great people, my publisher as well, Tom Dunn at St. Martin's Press, uh, editor Stephen Power. Uh, the Billionaire Boondoggle, How Our Politicians Let Corporations and Bigwigs Steal Our Money and Jobs. Now, there are some people who are talking about doing something about this, not just you with your book, right? Uh, but in a big way, uh, Elizabeth Warren has been out there saying um, that um, some of these, like we said, there are banks that are too big to fail. There are some big tech companies that are too big to fail. Is she right on? I think so, yeah. Um, and actually, one of the, the interesting things just on the tax break front is that while Amazon was doing its whole song and dance and you know making mm -hmm. turning HQ2 into a giant circus and making mayors across America you know, j you know ask how high when, when Amazon said jump, um, Google was going around the country really quietly using shell companies and hoovering up about a billion dollars in tax breaks to build facilities. There was a piece in the Washington Post, I want to say a week and a half ago, about this exact thing. Um, and that's what I'm talking about when Amazon... Amazon, in a way, was so unique because, because we heard, we, about, we heard yeah. about it and we knew what was going on. And because they decided to turn it into this circus, um, people were actually able to organize and fight back. And I was actually really encouraged to see that New York said enough activists, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, local lawmakers were all like, no, we're not doing this. We're not giving a ton of money to arguably the richest company on earth to come and create a few thousand jobs in our city. Um, Warren talking about breaking up big tech is something different, but I think it's really intriguing. These companies have obviously become super powerful in the way that they can manipulate markets, in the way that they can boast, both host the marketplace, if you're an Amazon, and participate in it, so then they can use the data of their competitors against them. Um, so talking about breaking those things up and turning those into separate entities, I think, is a really important discussion. Right. Does the government have the power to do that, or the authority, or the... I think so. We have antitrust laws, right? Monopoly is, in theory, illegal. Um, so you aren't supposed to be able to dominate. I think it's more a sense of will rather than legality. It's having the will to take on these giant companies that in many ways are like looked at as the darlings of the American economy, right? When people want to talk about, oh, great American success stories, who do they point to? Amazon, Facebook, Google. Well, um, less so now, maybe, since all the privacy issues have come out. Absolutely. But but that's certainly. been really, I mean, that, that's that been a really fast turnaround. It has. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's really just been in the last two or three years that... Uh, maybe uh, less. Maybe but, less. Yeah. But the, right. a lot of Americans have said, wow, Facebook is actually bad. <laughs> you know? I mean, Facebook manages to like keep stepping on the rake over and over and over. Yeah. Every every time they say they fix their privacy problem, a new story comes out inevitably two days later. Yeah, exactly. It's like they time they time their statements perfectly to come out right before the next privacy violation. Right. They're almost trying. <laughs> what I found interesting with um, Elizabeth Warren is that while somebody could say socialist Elizabeth Warren, right, she wants to break up these big corporations, um, that she painted it 
as actually a capitalist fix, meaning the result will be more competition and more opportunities for other entrepreneurs and smaller smaller firms to compete in that marketplace. Uh, so, so it's almost like saving capitalism, and, not denying it. And there's a long American tradition of not abiding by monopolies, right? We broke up oil companies. We took on Microsoft and said, no, you can't be this giant monopoly in you know, the not-too-distant past. So I think there is actually a long American tradition of saying, no, you're not allowed to monopolize a marketplace like this. You're not allowed to dominate the entire economy. And what she says makes sense. The number of stories you hear about these big tech companies coming in and buying a competitor just to suffocate them and never let them see the light of day again, that happens over and over and over again. You can you can see why the small guys either can't compete or don't even bother to compete because they know eh, if we even start to get off the ground, we're going to come. Facebook is going to come in with an offer we can't refuse and then just you know put us on the shelf. By the way, do you know it was three billion dollars in New York, right, for mm -hmm. HQ two for yeah. Amazon, right, yeah. or half of HQ two? Mm -hmm. Do you know how much Virginia uh, gave yeah. away? So it's about seven hundred and fifty million from the state. And then it's going to be about another $23 million in incentives from the county. And then there's a story last week that there's going to be another several million dollars in a kind of tech industry-related tax break. So you're getting so close to $800 million. Um, It's always so hard to put an exact number on these things because you don't know what the company is going to claim in the long run. And they're always going to try and claim more than they're due. Um, but I would put it at between $800 million and possibly up to a billion. Right. Um, I remember... Early in his um, administration, that uh, President Obama said that income inequality was like the number one issue of our time. It's just gotten worse, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not blaming him, but yeah. it didn't get any better under him, and it certainly has not has not gotten better under Donald Trump. No, and and Donald Trump encourages these bad corporate tax deals. Think of Carrier. Think of Foxconn. These are great examples of. States coming in and showering money on a company, and Donald Trump comes in and rah rahs and cheerleads and says, "Yeah, this is great. We have states competing against each other for business. It's going to be awesome." And then what happens? The company turns around six months, mm -hmm. a year later, and says, "Oh, no, never mind. We're not going to create those jobs. We're not going to open that factory in Wisconsin. We were just kidding. Like, forget <laughs> it." And that happens all over. Those are those are big, high profile, like Amazon, because Trump inserted his nose into the Carrier and Foxconn deals. We heard about them. But that happens all the time, all over the country, every day. Corporations make promises and then break them and still get rewarded. There was a study that came out of New Jersey a few weeks ago that the state's corporate tax incentive programs had just been chugging along for years, dumping money on all the companies that came into the state, and nobody was tracking the jobs that were created or whether mm, the companies yeah, were actually right, right. creating oh. the positions they promised. There were 3,000 jobs in New Jersey that just couldn't be accounted for. They showed up on one piece of paper and didn't show up on another piece of paper, and no one knew what happened. Right. So people promised to create. I mean, they got the tax breaks. They promised to create the jobs and didn't. Yeah. I mean, Foxconn said it was going to create 13,000 jobs in Wisconsin right. and then very quietly came back and said, oh, actually, no, it's more like 1,300. Right. Or maybe 800. And, and that happens all over all the time. So uh, um, I don't know whether you get into this, but what is the answer to dealing with income inequality? Is it um, a big tax break for the middle class? Is it uh, higher wages for, you know, it's all of the above, pro right? profit sharing or, or what? Yeah, it's all of the above. It's, it's making an economy that doesn't cater towards the biggest of the big and the richest of the rich. And it's breaking this myth 
that the way to build a sustainable economy is to rain money down on high on the rich guys and wait for them to be nice and create jobs for you. It's it's building demand from the bottom up because again, like I talked about with with the widgets and needing more customers, mm-hmm. that's how you boost an economy and do something that's going to be sustainable in the long term. Instead of raining money down on high on an Amazon, it'd be great if Virginia said, you know what, here's how we're going to compete. We're going to have the best schools and the best infrastructure and the best quality of life because it's going to be really easy to raise a family here. And that's why a company is going to want to come to our state, not because they, we rain so much money on them. Right. Uh, so the billionaire class, um, what is the... Uh, there have been various proposals. Um, what um, the highest tax rate today is? What thirty five percent? It's thirty seven. Thirty seven. Yeah. Okay. Um, the idea of raising taxes on people of, let's say, ten million and above, <laughs> right? Um, what should that rate be? On what ten million. Say? High. <laughs> I mean, we had 90% tax rates in this country, right? Once we did at one time, right? There, there are a couple of things here. One, the top bracket should be obviously be much higher, like that we top out in yeah, the 30s right. is, is silly. Ocasio-Cortez was talking about 70. Right. But also that we, we top out. And I'm not sure Elizabeth Warren has put a number on it. I don't think it. she has. Um, but there should also be multiple brackets, right? We shouldn't be treating someone who makes 400000 the same as someone who makes $4 million, as someone who makes $40 million, right? Why not put extra brackets on the top? On, on all of those levels, that's something Bernie Sanders has talked about quite a right. bit. Um, and I really like Warren's idea of a wealth tax because part of the problem with using income taxes to get at this is a lot of rich people don't actually make traditional income. They're not sitting at a desk and getting a paycheck. Their money is tied up in investments. And so using a wealth tax to get at that money, I think, is a really, really smart play. Uh, and how does that differ? So you're you're taxing... So you're taxing, yeah, you're taxing their assets essentially, and the wealth that they have in the bank, um, and the increase in their wealth every year, not just the increase in the amount of money they're actually pulling in as income. So this is uh, uh, when all their investments increase in value over the year, you tax that increase in value. Right, and their real estate, I guess, exactly. right, and their yachts or <laughs> yeah, multi- private jets, multiple planes, and yeah, all that. Absolutely. Right, right. Um, and I think that's really smart because. One of the reasons we have seen such a vast growing income inequality is because the wealthy class has all this investment income that's taxed at a far lower. We tax capital gains far lower, which is money made from investments, from selling stocks, from being in real estate. Um, we tax that money at a far lower rate than we do regular income. So someone like uh, you know LeBron James, who's getting most of his money in a paycheck, is treated far differently and taxed far higher than someone who's just making their money through investments and having their cash just like sit around. There are, we should point out, I guess, there are exceptions to the greedy billionaires, right? I mean, there is a small group <laughs> of like, I can think Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, who else is in that group who do, who have Nick pledged Hanauer, yeah. to give away most of their money, right? To, and are doing so. Uh, so some pretty important causes around the world. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we don't want to rely on the right. niceness yeah. of people. Yeah. Like that's always there's always that silly talking point every time, you know, someone like mm-hmm. me says, "Hey, taxes should be higher and right. you can right. raise them on me too if you want." Um conservatives always come back with, "You can just cut a check to the treasury. Why don't you just pay yeah. more?" Yeah. Yeah. It's such a silly talking point. That's not the point. It needs to be systemic. We can't rely on individual decision making in this area to actually do what we need to do. Right. Um, because, yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. Uh, it, it's 
I salute those people who have a heart, have a conscience, whatever, or and and realize that they've been giving a lot of, uh, they've they've earned a lot, gained a lot through their hard work, right? Uh, and now they have a responsibility they feel to give back. Right? Yeah, but also and also but acknowledging you can't count on that. No, but and also acknowledging that it wasn't all hard work, right? Like I think that's a really that's important. True. That's very a really true. important yeah. point that Warren makes all the time is, yeah, you should you should be rewarded for your hard work, but don't forget about the schools that educated your kids and the roads that your products move on and the sense of law and order that preserves your business. You don't have to worry about someone breaking in and burning your building down because we have a government to protect you. Um, and all of that was really important and no one does anything. Plus alone. a lot of people with this extraordinary wealth, uh, it wasn't their hard work, it might have been their daddies or their oh, grandfathers, that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, there's the, also the, that. The fact that Republicans are always trying to cut the estate tax is one of the just most maddening oh, things. Totally. I mean, you know, you saw Ivanka Trump out there oh. about how people don't want to be given anything. They want to work really hard for their paycheck, someone who has like inherited she, everything. Like she did. The book, it is red hot. Uh, the Billionaire Boondoggle. You'll love it. The Billionaire Boondoggle. Pat Garofalo is the author. It is out today, so check it out. And uh, good luck, Pat. And thanks so much for coming hey, in. Thanks so much for having when me. When we come back, the legendary Sam Stein. This is the Bill Press Show. Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's a great town, Milwaukee, and that's where the Democrats are gone for their 2020 convention. Hillary wouldn't go to Milwaukee, but the DNC is going there in 2020. It's a good move <laughs> on the part of Tom Perez, the national chair. Hello, everybody. Here we go on a Tuesday, March 12, The Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio right here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building and about five metro stops away uh, from the White House. We've got it all covered, reaching out to you nationwide, online, on the radio, and on television. Thank you uh, so much for joining us. Uh, you know, we always need the help of uh, friends to get through the news of the day. Couldn't have any better friend in today <laughs> than uh, Mr. Sam Stein. Uh, and this is a historic occasion. Peter and I figured out it's been 10 years, Ten years. since Sam Stein. That is a lie. That's such a lie. That's 100% true. It's 100% true. It was 2009. That's not even remotely true, Peter. I'm feeling ambushed on this. It's a historic occasion here, you know. What a joke. How about Also, do you measure your radio show by proximity, like Metro Stop proximity? We do. Okay. I'm just sort of curious why that's the metric. I just want to like miles. 
I just want to say. I just want to say. It's been. It's been. So the cost of an Uber ride. Welcome, welcome back, and thank you. I just want to say it's been ten years, and all it took was me haranguing Sam once a week with an email for how many years has it been, Sam? Three years. This is. These are lies. I'm feeling completely ambushed here. I'm regretting the decision to come on. I have a reminder on my phone every week. Email Sam Stein to come on the show. What a joke. It sort of reminds me of the White House briefings. They happen so rarely. (laughs) Am I Sarah Huckabee Sanders in this equation? I'm sorry, Sam. Yes. (laughs) At any rate, lots to get into. Look forward to hearing from you on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All righty. Just a couple of other stories making news. So I don't watch this MMA stuff, the mixed martial arts, but Conor McGregor is apparently a very, very big star in that world. Well, he was arrested. Sorry, you lost me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't watch the MMA stuff, but it's a big deal. And this okay. Conor McGregor guy, he got a, he got arrested yesterday because a fan was trying to take video of him on their phone. He then grabbed the phone and smashed it. He was charged with felony strong-armed oh. robbery and criminal mischief Ooh. in Miami. Obviously, he's going to be fine, uh, but uh, the, 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 the fan's phone is not, phone yeah. is not fine. When you get someone <laughs> like Conor McGregor trying to smash your phone, you can uh, know that your phone is going to be thoroughly smashed. And this happens all the time. I know Bill and Sam, you guys have fans trying to take videos out in the wild all the time. Every day. And you guys both have to practice that restraint. You don't know how many phones I've been through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, this story happens a couple times a year, and I will always love it, and I will always talk about it. We go to Oakland, California, where someone got in trouble because he was driving in the carpool lane. With two dummies in the car. Yeah. The California Highway Patrol spotted this man driving with two dummies, obvious dummies, in the car so that he could use the carpool lane and get through traffic Wait, that doesn't count? It doesn't count. It doesn't count. They did point out that the dummies were dressed. One of them was wearing a neon green windbreaker. The other was wearing a hoodie. But you know what's funny is... When they first did Diamond Lanes, like, 100 years ago, that yeah. people did that, you know, and you would think they would have learned their lesson no by way, now. man. He took the effort to dress the dummies. That should count for something. Hey, look, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the California Highway Patrol put out a uh, tweet says, don't be a dummy, follow the rules. Uh, yeah. You see that? Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, and one final story. Uh, we go to New York where they are set to open up The Edge. That is the name of the upcoming Hudson Yards observation mm. deck that you'll be able to look over all of New York City. It is going to be very, very big, very, very tall. It's the tallest outdoor observation deck in the Western Hemisphere. Whoa. And that's about to open up. Put down on the Hudson Yards? That's right. That's, well, right. that's news you can't use. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. And the budget is out. It is the biggest budget in history with the biggest deficit ever in history. Uh, Donald Trump's budget of, what is it, four point? It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. $4.7 trillion. Hello, everybody. The Bill Press Show on a Tuesday, March 12. Uh, We are live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., Good to see you today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, we always love to hear from you and your comments on Twitter 
at BP Show. And join me in welcoming back to the to the program, Sam Stein uh, from uh, Daily Beast and uh, Morning Joe. I guess Joe didn't need you this morning, huh? No, no, no. I'm, I'm on tomorrow, but I'm not, I don't want to cross-program here. I'm here for you completely. All right, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to see you there. We're always uh, proud when we see you. It's a the... pleasure to see you. I love you guys. And you know, As you know, I love you guys. And Sam and I, we... Peter, st- I don't really care much for, <laughs> but I love you. <laughs> Back at you. And uh, so Sam and I got to know each other uh, in the White House briefings under the early days of the Obama administration. When they held briefings, yeah. When they held briefings every day. Yeah. Uh, and it was, what a crowd. I remember it was you and me... David Korn, yep. we had our row there, yeah, right? Yeah. David Korn, uh, Sam from the Hill, Sam Youngman, Sam Youngman, Sam Youngman, young man, Hill, Sam Youngman, right? yeah, yeah, Sam Youngman. he was there, right? And um, yeah, so it was a good row. That it was, was a good, good row. And they yep. used to, you know, we, we used, used to, to we used to like get a little upset because they wouldn't go to like the what was it, the fifth or fourth row we were in? Yeah, yeah. And we complain about how oh, we'd only get right. a question every like you know week or so. And now like they don't give any questions. No, no. Our times have changed. So I was there yesterday, first briefing. Why? With, oh, because they had a briefing. Yeah, yeah. They had yeah, a briefing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Forty first in forty two days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, briefings have a uh, changed a little bit. I right? can imagine. Yeah. Uh, pretty hostile. It was it was really ugly. Yesterday. Well, there's a lot of pent up frustration on the part of the reporters there, right? I mean, this is their job. They get, they're supposed to ask questions and then you got to go. I mean, I know they say Trump's the most successful president in modern history and sure he does these weird gaggles outside of the White House, uh, you know, every on now his, and then. On his way to Air Force yeah, One. On his way. Or and, Marine and, One. And listen, honestly, awesome. I like that. But um, there is a certain uh, import to having someone on a daily basis answer questions about the administration and not have the president on an ad hoc basis decide what he wants to talk about. And for 42 days, they haven't been able to ask questions. And there's a lot to ask about. So I get why there's a little tension in the room. Right. Yeah. And, and then the... Um, what were you? Let me ask. What were you going to ask if you got called on yesterday? Do you know? Uh, actually, um, I figured that... that um, others would have handled some of the hot topics right. like they tried to. Like, does Donald Trump really believe that Democrats hate Jews? I loved her answer to that, which was ask the Democrats if Donald Trump believes Democrats hate Jews. I don't really know how that works logically. Exactly. I made that <laughs> earlier. I mean, that's a question that Democrats can't answer. Yeah, right? okay, yeah. They can that, just dive into Donald Trump's brain and right. figure out the answer. Yeah. So that question did come up, and the question about uh, Paul Manafort, right, right? Which, of course, she refused to answer. He'll, he'll, sure. he'll, he'll make, he'll decide that when he's ready to decide. Yeah. Um, but in response to your question, so I was going to ask her, don't you, th- did, did, don't you think this uh, briefing has uh, been pretty important today? And, uh, <laughs> and if so, why don't you hold more of them? <laughs> I, just I, I would have loved to see how she handled that one. <laughs> I would embarrass her to that one, right? Uh, he's going to he's going to pardon Paul Manafort, isn't he? Is that what? You, I mean, I have no idea. Do you? I, is what do that you, your what's assumption? Your, what's your gut tell you? Uh. If anything happens, I bet it happens after the election. I think. I think his political advisors probably recognize that it's too dynamic to do right before reelect. Um, people will freak out, and rightfully so. But if you're a lame duck and you got nowhere else to go, um, you know, I guess the the pressure is theoretically off you at that moment. And at that point, Manafort will have served for he would have already been two in prison years, for it. Yeah, yeah, right or so. And well, he's already served a few months, so maybe a little over two years at that right. point. Uh, and you can arguably say, you know, he paid the price. 
Let's let them out. And at that, and it becomes easier. Yeah. Now, people might flip out, but wouldn't you also have to say that um, it almost doesn't make any difference with Donald Trump? Back to the, right. I could walk out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody in my support well, and still stay with Well, you know, I go back me. and forth on that, right? Like, if you look at it, yes, there's obviously, like, a really dedicated base of supporters. But then sometimes I step back and I think, you know, the economy's doing pretty well. Unemployment's really low. Um, we're not launching any crazy new wars. And yet this guy can't break out of the low 40s, right? So there is a cost to the craziness, mm -hmm. which is he can't expand his coalition. And so, yeah, the supporters are there, um, although are, I think they've dropped. I think a few of them have dropped off. Um, but he's having a real difficult time ever breaking through. And so um, I don't think like this is Teflon Don necessarily. I think he's if he wants to win re-election, he does need to expand his coalition a little bit. Keep in mind, he only won election the right. first time because of what seventy five thousand votes in three states. Mm -hmm. That's right. not a really strong position. When you look at the twenty twenty field, um, it, it, do you first of all too many candidates, and do you think it's um, did you are you saying that as your opinion? There's too many candidates because I didn't wasn't phrased as a question. You just said that too many candidates. Uh, uh, okay, too many. Too many, in your opinion, too many candidates. I think they say too many candidates. Too many candidates. Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, and um, and do they um, run the risk, as some people are saying now, of moving the Democratic Party too far to the left? Uh, uh, didn't they, they feel like they said all this about the Republicans in 2016, right? Um, I don't know. What is too many candidates? Is it would ten be too many? Nine? I it. It doesn't. I mean, there's obviously there's a lot, uh, and it's probably going to grow. Yeah. Um, I don't know what too many candidates looks like. I feel like, you know, practically speaking, um, maybe I think there's Democrats out there who would like some of these candidates to be running for Senate as opposed to the presidency. Right. Um, so in that sense, maybe there are too many candidates, but this field will narrow. Uh, I think uh, relatively quickly because people will recognize that they just aren't getting the traction, and there's different ways to measure the traction. I mean, polling is one, but obviously, uh, grassroots donors, uh, number of donors, right. uh, diversity of donors uh, is another. And so, um, and by the way, on that point, those yeah. two qualifications you mentioned are the qualifications that the DNC has set up for getting in the yeah. first debate, which I think makes a lot of and sense. And they listen. I've talked to DNC folks about this. They've consulted. They consulted a lot of people. Um, about how to set those metrics up. It wasn't like they just pulled it out of a hat. They they recognized that, you know, certainly uh, the, the percentage in the polls is pretty standard, but like 65,000 donors uh, and 200 donors in 25 different states is was a metric that they, you know, consulted with different vendors for about how difficult, mm -hmm. the, how difficult yeah. it is to hit and what it shows about your candidacy. And so, you know, if you can show that, you, you are demonstrating that you have... Um, Fairly good, robust grassroots support. So, I, to your point, I think it will. I think it will. It will narrow out naturally. Uh, the question about whether they move too far to the "quote unquote" left is another question entirely. And um, you know, I, I, I don't really have a good answer to that. I mean, there is a, a very rational, uh, serious argument that what um, sort of the Bernie Elizabeth Sanders Elizabeth Sanders Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren, Warren wing right. of the party is offering, is in fact a galvanizing platform in that you can't think of these things in binary ways, which is Republican versus Democrat, but that 
you can organize an entire group of voters that have never engaged in the political process through some of these proposals. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, the there's some, Back to the point of which candidates might emerge, there are some that um, could surprise us. <laughs> um, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. Um, yesterday, well, Sunday, uh, yes, CNN Sunday. had this uh, town hall where here's a little clip of Buttigieg. He was asked about uh, Mike Pence. Uh, overall, he's given pretty high marks for his uh, performance there in the town hall sure. on CNN. Uh, and, uh, as an example of which, when he was asked about Mike Pence and his um, being the man of faith, you know, known for that, uh, and uh, here's Buttigieg. My understanding of scripture is that it is about protecting the stranger and the prisoner and the poor person and that idea of welcome. That's, that's what I get in the gospel when, when I'm in church. And his has a lot more to do with, with sexuality and, uh, I don't know, a certain view of rectitude. But even if you buy into that, how could he allow himself to become the, the cheerleader of the porn star presidency? Is it, that he, is it that he stopped believing in scripture when he started believing in Donald Trump? I don't know. Buttigieg, pretty impressive guy. Yeah, I mean, I remember, so I think, you know, it's worth noting that Mayor Pete uh, yeah. is from South Bend, which is a city in Indiana, so he's uh, fairly familiar with uh, Mike Pence. Um, but I remember watching uh, Pete Buttigieg in the uh, debates for a next DNC chair. Yeah. And at the time, everyone's like, this guy's really impressive, but he's so young. <laughs> and, like, now it's the same thing. And, um, I mean... I think one of the interesting qualities uh, that he has is um, he's unapologetically progressive and he presents it in a very like calm, logical way. And, um, you know, that's sort of distinct because you're usually accustomed to sort of fire breathing progressives yeah. who, you know, are out there, you know, hitting the podium, hitting the lectern and, you know, saying we need this, we need that. And Pete just basically isn't that's not his constitution he's he's soft-spoken but pointed and um for a lot of people that sort of combines two traits that they really like in a politician which is the sort of bold ideological philosophical vision but a uh, an approach to politics that isn't totally in your face and can be welcoming and so you know he's got a lot of obviously he's got a lot of potential and promise because people are incredibly interested in his candidacy uh, of, I think the the natural fear for his people is that he's everyone's second favorite choice, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> that you can't sort of but, envision him in the White House, but you like the idea of him in the White House. Uh, and in terms of the grassroots, he picked up about six hundred thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah, no. overnight. From, and, and it's so, remarkable because these town halls have happened. Uh, and a couple of candidates have done these town halls already. Yeah, and he's the one who's broken through by far and away uh, mm -hmm. the most. So, you know, he's we'll see what he can do with that type of support. I think theoretically this could really launch him at least into the debate stage, which was not necessarily a given, but seems more and more likely to be a given at this point. Now, one other uh, one other candidate uh, mm -hmm. who's sat right there where you're sitting today uh, last week with us uh, who uh, uh, insists he will be also on the debate stage 
um, because he will have raised the money and he will be 1% in at least three polls is Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang sat in this seat? There he is, Sam. That's the yes. Andrew Yang. Whoa, Andrew and Yang's you haven't chair. like Memorial bronzed chair. it or anything? Like <laughs> yeah. gone to Staples and gotten a replacement? No, we're going to do that after you leave, right, Sam? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, now it's the Andrew Yang and Sam Stein seat. That's incredible. No, it's the Sam We were going to have seat. Sam in the t- same time that Andrew Yang was here, but Sam didn't respond to my email. What the oh, hell? Oh, yeah, let it go, man. That's a joke. Oh, my God, let it go. It's too early for this. <laughs> Anyways, Andrew, fascinating guy. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And with a boldest of ideas of all, I guess. Well, right? yeah. I, so his, I mean, I did a piece on him for thedailybeast.com. And the gist of it is that, like, this dude has found a way. Not, I don't want to call it gaming the system because he's just playing by the rules. But he basically figured out how how to do it quickly. So he is for a universal basic income. He wants the government to cut you a thousand dollar check, I think monthly or no mm-hmm. weekly. I can't remember which one it was. And um it's gotta be weekly. Well whatever. He and his whole work his big platform is that we need to the government needs to do this because automation is going to essentially right. wreck industries and people will be dying for work. Not literally. Uh although maybe. And people have really taken to it. And so he went his campaign has capitalized on these memes that have gone across the internet about the Yang Gang, and he went on the Joe Rogan podcast, which has an incredible reach, next mm-hmm. uh, only matched by yours. By, by the Bill yeah, Press yeah, show, right? And suddenly he took off. And yeah. as of last night, uh, he had hit the 65,000 donor <laughs> threshold to qualify for the debate. And he's already hit the 200 donors in 25 mm-hmm. unique states threshold to qualify for the debate. So... Unless something crazy happens, uh, and the only thing that can happen is they'll have over 20 candidates, and then they'll have to figure out who hit the thresholds first. But even in that case, he hit him first. Yeah, yeah. He will be on the debate stage. And even more interesting is that uh, it's just growing. Um, in a, Ma- a Monmouth poll yesterday, he had was over 1%, so he was further ahead than, uh, for instance, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. And in these predictor betting markets, he's starting to get some traction. And these are meaningless betting markets because they fluctuate. But, you know, I've seen betting markets would have him at like four or five percent. <laughs> so the, Andrew Yang is like kind of the cool candidate uh, online and he's capitalizing it. And he's going to probably get on the debate stage where he will be sort of boldly talking about UBI and even make a bigger name for himself. Right. And, you know, what's what's fun about it is he doesn't have the superstructure Right. No. That that presidential candidate. No. You expect right? No. His it's just camp- him. He, it's and him. It's- He's never been in politics before. This is. I interviewed his campaign manager about this. I was like, so tell me about like what his political history is. He's like, no, there's not really much. He's an entrepreneur. <laughs> and then I t- t- tell the ask campaign manager like, well, what's your uh, political history? Oh. He's like, well, you know, I volunteered on a campaign in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I mean, these guys are basically uh, from the world of you know, finance, tech, and entrepreneurship. And they were impassioned by this idea that uh, automation was going to wreak havoc. Yeah. And then one day Andrew Yang was like, I'm going to run for president. Do you want to, do, you want to like be my campaign manager? And his campaign manager was like, uh, sure. And that was it. Yeah. And now they're blowing up. But he's got that one big great idea. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and has almost figured out a way to game the system. I think it's. It uh, makes you wonder, could could I just find the right idea and get on the debate stage? Well, that I, was that was my biggest takeaway from your piece. Right. Like, I think Andrew Yang's heart is in the right place and he's got some interesting ideas. Right. I'm glad he's going to be able to take them uh, to a larger platform. But also 
if someone who didn't have their heart in the right place wanted yes. to sort of get around this, that's kind of scary. So that was that's why we said he was gaming the system. All the people had uh, real problems with the headline because he is playing by the rules. Yeah, he is. But theoretically, you could like you know engineer some sort of tech platform that encouraged people to do one dollar donations across the country and get yourself to sixty five thousand. And you could be, you know, James O'Keefe. Yeah. Like, theoretically. Right, exactly. Uh, now, I'm sure the DNC has contingencies to stop something like that from happening. But, you know, there is, there are ways in this sort of, the, the Internet's basically flattened the entire political landscape, not to get all Tom Freeman on you. Mm -hmm. But it's democratized it, and it's, like, lowered the entry points for people. And so now you can structure a campaign based on very little, whereas traditionally you needed a very hierarchical system and you need to buy TV ads and all that stuff. Andrew Yang hasn't run one TV ad. He has like, he's oh, run no. 30,000 in Facebook ads. He has no money. He has like basically had 30,000 left on cash on hand at the end of the year. So he's just doing this basically through uh, ingenuity has and tech savvy. Has he been to Iowa? Has he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's done a few stops. He's yeah. out there. He's he's sort of he's unconventional in his approach but he's definitely gone out there and, and, and met with voters. He's not right. totally divorced from that. But his main um, takeaway was, I need to do sort of these big bang for buck media hits. So the Joe Rogan podcast, the Breakfast Club, Tucker Carlson show, but also, and of course, Bill Press's show. Thank and you. then, and then you know, I'm going to also just capitalize on internet memes. And mm -hmm. so people are sharing these memes on all these, you know, Reddit sub channels. And I, I shall say also like 4chan, which is a dirty, nasty place, but the, he's getting an immense amount of encouragement online and people are responding by giving one dollar right right and that gets him a uh, extra donor so, it is sort of interesting there's there is a little bit of an overlap between uh a trump voter and an andrew yang voter right because right it's sort of like making politics a little bit of a like a mockery right right like, donald trump just sort of mocked all politicians and said that the way that we've done politics forever is just wrong and stupid and Andrew Yang is kind of saying the same thing and doing it in his own way, in a different way. And so yeah, I mean, I, I think sort of I think agents of chaos right to a degree. I don't think he. I think he does believe government has a role to play, as no. opposed to Trump, who's like, uh, that's like a farce for him. Yeah, exactly. Right. But, but but to your point, like Andrew Yang, I mean, a lot of the people we were checking out these. Will Summer and I were checking out these um, internet uh, 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 chat rooms, uh, subreddit, uh, whatever mm -hmm. forums where they were talking about him, and like people who are decidedly MAGA types were really interested in universal basic income because, you know, they feel like the government's let them well, down and yeah. they feel abandoned and they're scared about their economic future. And, of course, they want a $1,000 regular check from the government. That seems, like, really helpful. But there's no ideological consistency to right, that. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, exactly. No. no, not at all. Uh, now, I want to ask you about somebody. Talk about people who are doing it a different way and 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 – um, and kind of, I don't know, it's just sort of blowing up all uh, traditional forms of running for president. Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. What the hell is he up to? Have you had any interaction with him? No. One of the candidates, I've talked to one of his uh, top aides, but, like, I really haven't. I, I didn't do the Texas Senate race, um, yeah. and I've sort of watched from afar. So I'm but not you know, informed. He's driving around his pickup truck, and he shows up in Iowa, and then he then he says he's made up his mind, and he's not. I mean, is this is this. He's. It's very. It's like you know. He's just a you know guy on a journey. Yeah. 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 But where, <laughs> <laughs> where that journey takes him, who knows? Take? 
I, take I, him or where does it take us? I, I don't know. Part of me feels like he's sort of, you know, blowing his window. And I think the data says that, you know, some of the, you know, pent up excitement has dissipated. Um, but then again, like, you know, who knows what's going to happen if he decides to run in that moment? I mean, he could catapult the way a couple of these people have catapulted already. I, right. I the the biggest thing I've heard that is sort of a knock on him is that um, it's becoming too much about him. Um, that you know, it's 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 a not a cult, but it's just about it's like a beta show and. And that, you know, they want to see a little bit more meat to those. There's a personality, but a lot of people don't know what he stands for on it. Even on the border, he's been kind of Well, yeah, he he had that, he had that um, weird, not weird exchange. He told Chris Hayes, you know, tear down these, the walls in El Paso, but then he kind of clarified it. And that's, you know, you'll, whatever that, I think he'll be fine to like figure out his positions. But, you know, if you, if the idea is that you're like inviting people, because he's been incredibly inclusive in the way he's run his campaign and also how he's done politics, which is he's live streaming, he's taking questions all the time, he's showing right. up, he's talking to people. Uh, but the the risk, obviously, to that is that it becomes really all about you as opposed to some sort of larger vision. Um, and, you know, Obama had this type of um, criticism thrown his way as well. But to Obama's credit, I think, he at least throughout that time was talking about you know, uh, creating some sort of postpartisan ideal in which logic prevailed. And he obviously was proven correct because logic has prevailed. Obviously, he's not. Uh, every- <laughs> but, 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 yeah. but Obama was at least promising that sort of concrete uh, vision. And I'm not totally I actually don't really know what beta vision is. So. By the way, as of this morning, there uh, there are sponsored Instagram posts from Beto O'Rourke saying, I'm ready to share my plans. Want to be the first to know? Here's where you can sign up. Yeah, and like, what makes his sort of process different than Joe Biden's, right? Like, Biden is taking a fair amount of time as well. I guess Biden's been in the game and has records of accomplishment uh, that beta doesn't have, but, you know, it's still a process. I, I was just going to ask you, so if, uh, with all this jockeying around, Mm-hmm. Um, if Biden jumps in, is it just like all over? No, not at all. I I I feel like um, I've talked to more Democrats in the past like two weeks who f- are fearful of um, in 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 a way that's protective of Biden of what happens if he jumps in because um, he'll become the front runner obviously and for good reason the name recognition and and uh, he is the elder statesman of the party and he's the uh, he was recently VP but. I mean, he has so many decades of controversial statements and votes um, that he will have to spend his time explaining. Uh, And there will be a certain amount of discomfort watching him contort himself to the modern day democratic zeitgeist. So there were there are there are fears that um, this could go badly for him and that it will not be a fun experience and might not be the best way to end his political career. Um, As some one guest of ours, I think it was Marcus Melitzis from um, Daily Coast, Daily yeah. Coast, said here, also sitting in the Samsung wow, Memorial Chair, uh, that he said, you know, we love Joe, but we want him to go out as a winner and not as a loser. Yeah, and I mean, there's something to it. Now, I, I, I'm not dismissing his chances. Obviously, when you start at the top of the polls, like you, you have some real, you know, you have a real shot, obviously, and, and certainly but, he'd be the front runner, but. I don't know how he expands that much further than where it is right now. You know, one I think the real complications for Biden uh, is fundraising. 
Yeah. Because obviously Bernie, Hillary, others now have developed a real capacity to raise tons of money, small donor contributions. Joe's never done that, right? His is the old-fashioned way. And he was never that good at it either. Yeah, In his past right. campaigns, he had struggled on uh, a fundraising uh, capacity. And also, like, take a look at, um, you know, what's his email list? I, I don't know. I actually have no idea if he has access to the Obama email list or not, if he has his own email list. I'm sure he does, but I'm sure it's atrophied pretty badly. What's his, you know, what's his digital operation? Has he run a single Facebook ad to build up an email list or to test how he does online? I mean, these things, they may seem granular and technical, uh, but they are incredibly important. Right, particularly playing in today's politics. Right, right? I mean, if, you, if you're like, you know, look at Elizabeth Warren. She had developed a really good email list from her initial Senate run. Uh, she was a dynamic online personality. But over time, that email list atrophied, and her team has seen that the fundraising is not quite good or there, and so she has raised, you know, not that much relative to Bernie, the pittance. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if she's having difficulty, you can only imagine the troubles that Biden will have. Right. You 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 referenced uh, President Obama. Um, what is his? Uh, yeah, I was inspired by seeing buyers' rem- copies of Buyers Remorse rem- out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Uh, uh, w- w- how my book on how Obama, in some ways, let progressives down. Do you still feel that but way? I do. Okay. Um, do you? But in, in, in many ways, I mean, you know, I'm a big Obama supporter. But at the same time, there were some sure. issues where I just think he didn't take advantage of the opportunities he had. On either gun safety or even on health care, right? Um, dismissing Medicare for all or single payer in the very beginning and going with this Obamacare mess that we've got. Um, what's the lasting impact of Obama on this whole operation here? He seems to have disappeared. I, yeah, it's it's he's not gonna. I, if people expect him to play any role in the primary, they should drop those expectations. He obviously feels, uh, from talking to his people, uh, he feels very, you know, devoted to the party, uh, protective of his legacy, uh, shocked at what's happening, uh, like anyone in the Democratic Party would be. But um, he also feels committed to the idea of disengagement and recognizing that if he were to get involved, one, they feel like it may not be, um, obviously it's different in the primary versus somewhere else, but it may not be as impactful as people envision it but two the other worry is that um he doesn't want to overshadow he feels very strongly that there's got to be a new crop of people in the democratic party who take over and if he inserts himself uh he potentially prohibits that but you've written about i mean this also his message of let's all get together right you mentioned the post-partisanship presidency which never really happened right no and that vision is not Necessarily well, the vision of the Democratic Party today. And in fact, his own people, like these old Obama aides, we, were, we did this piece, Gideon Resnick uh, did this piece, uh, I think I helped him out with it, um, in which John Hinkenlooper had talked about how he was going to get things done by sitting down with Mitch McConnell oh, and yes, know, yeah. hammering it out. And, um, you know, of course, all these senators who are running are very adamantly or very much pessimistic about changing uh, the filibuster because they feel like, collegiality and 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 um you know just talking with each other is a good way to get legislation passed and we talked to these obama aides we're like you know you guys sort of were of that mindset right mm-hmm. that was your big ethos which Kumbaya. is logical prevail 
and uh, they they all like laughed at Hank and Looper. <laughs> they were just like one of them was like, "We tried it. We tried it for a while. Don't do it. Not, there's not enough pixie dust in the world to get Mitch McConnell to agree to you on anything he doesn't want to agree to you with. So like, get realistic about it. And I think that is sort of the defining ethos right now of the Democratic primary, which is it's time to just get realistic about what government is and what it isn't. Right. And um, you know that's what's sort of driving these crowds, these huge crowds to come out because they're really angry with the direction of the country. Not so much just Donald Trump, but also Mitch McConnell. And it's what's driving a lot of these more radical suggestions, whether it's on policy matters or on rules reform. Right. Uh, so we haven't talked about Bernie. Yeah. Uh, and here's Bernie out there um, getting maybe even bigger crowds than he did the last time, uh, raising more money than he did the last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it from new donors. Right, right, right. $10 million that he raised, they said 39% of it were from people who had not contributed in 2016. <clears throat> yeah. Um, he's certainly not going quietly into that night, right? I mean, no, I mean, I think. Um, I mean, it may be Bernie versus Joe, right? As a, yeah, I think I think it's fair to say Bernie is the front runner right now. Um, and for good reason. I mean, the money is insane. And then, you know, it obviously there's this question about whether he can match what he did in 2016 or whether that was a high watermark because he was running against the perfect foil and right but i think that sort of looks at it inaccurately which is in 2016 and you know he was just building up an operation for the first time and he had no experience as a candidate on that level and now he's got the experience but also his team has the experience and so they said on a conference call yesterday that they have 70 hired staffers already and over a million volunteers. <laughs> they said at this point in 2015, is, it's insane. Yeah. In 2015, at this point, I don't know what they had, but they said they had less than 30 hired staffers by June 2015 at this point. So he will have not just a huge fundraising apparatus, but an actual campaign apparatus, and not just in Iowa and New Hampshire, but they're going to get the vote out in California. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to do South Carolina. They can afford to play in California. California's moved oh, yeah. up, too. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so and so people assume that um, 2016 was a high watermark, and I'm not totally sold. Yes, it's going to be complicated because there's so many more candidates in the field, but I think he's got a much more sophisticated operation. Uh, he, he definitely does. And the other... Um, aspect of it is, as he points out on the campaign trail, that these ideas in 2016, they all said were crazy. Now, almost everybody is running on Bernie's ideas. Oh, yeah, totally. And so he's moved the window um, and it's become, in some ways, his ideological vision that's, you know, steering the party. I will say there is a lot of animus towards him still among Democrats. Um, They don't, you know, there's a huge part of the party that feels for some reason or other that he was uh, sort of disrespectful, I don't know why, towards Hillary Clinton in 2016, that he didn't do enough, which is just factually not true, Uh, but also that they're resentful that he's not a Democrat uh, and they feel like he is too above it for them. And, and, And if he wants the party's nomination, they feel he needs to show more commitment to the party. Now, um, we got to let you go, but before you do, uh, before we we you know, take our leave here sure. for another ten years, ten years, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to come back to uh, a show where you often appear, which is of course Morning Joe and Joe and Meek are friends. Yeah. Um, and a little exchange that uh, Joe had with another Democratic candidate uh, end of last week on the issue of capitalism oh, and right, socialism. Right, right, yeah. 
Uh, here is former Governor John Hickenlooper uh, <clears throat> having a hard time answering what should be, I think, a pretty easy question. Here's that exchange. Are you concerned about some factions of your party embracing socialism? <laughs> well, I think there's you know, the Democratic Party is a big tent. Uh, and that's one of the things I've always loved about the Democratic Party is there are all kinds of ideas. You know, I look at my experiences and, and, and where I've tried to make a difference, and it really is getting people together, getting them to lay down their weapons, and then getting stuff done. And the labels, right. I think most Democrats don't care as much about the labels. Well, would you call yourself, would you call yourself a proud capitalist? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, you know, again, the labels, I'm not sure uh, any of them fit. All right, we got it. <laughs> Well, that's a pretty easy question to answer, right? I mean, this is like ridiculous. Just say yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. like, why people are, I think politicians are so worried that people are trying to get them in gotcha moments that they clam up and can't be themselves and their brains are working overdrive, being like, I don't want to say something I'll regret. I don't want to say something. Just be honest and sincere. This is a guy who made, this guy made his money out of brew pubs, right? Yeah. I He's mean, a, like, you are a capitalist yeah, by definition. Yeah. You are, right. you have succeeded in this society. Also, who cares? Like, it's, I know you don't want to apply labels, but like, whatever. Yeah. Just you'll you'll be fine. Don't yeah. worry so much. Yeah, exactly. All right, Sam. It's well, so see, good to I'll see, see you guys in what twenty twenty nine. Yeah, next yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. With President Donald Trump. I don't know Jr. if you better check if we have any openings on that date. And keep the chair. It is <laughs> dailybeast.com and this is the Daily Beast Hour. We go from Sam sign to Aswin Subsign. Oh wow! Oh man! Wow! You taught, right you there. You taught him everything you know. <laughs> he knows, right? Quick break. We'll be right back. Thank you. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we go, Tuesday, March 12, uh, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, our studio in Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yep, the great men and women of our firefighting departments uh, across the land, uh, uh, every you know, we got a firehouse right across the street here from our studio. I see them rolling by. I always give them a big wave, uh, and thank them for uh, being on the front line, supporting American, fa uh, protecting American families every single day. They never let us down. Check out their website at iaff, pardon me, dot org, and a big thank you to all of them and their president, uh, President Harold uh, Sheetberger, who is already out there. By the way, just saw him again on television this morning. Um, in support of uh, Joe Biden and his potential candidacy for president. As we mentioned, this is the Daily Beast Hour here on the uh, Bill Press Show, and we follow up with us from Stan Sam Stein, who started off the hour, now joined by a White House reporter for the Daily Beast, our good friend, Aswin Subsang. Hello, Swin. Good to see you. Always a pleasure to be here. Everything good? Hectic morning, but then again, it's they're always hectic mornings. Just starting out, Swin. I mean, how can it be hectic already? Because you're here, right? In part. <laughs> driving driving uh, uh, across town. Um, big briefing at the White House yesterday. Um, I was there, first briefing in 42 days. Mm -hmm. And one of the topics that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked about is one that you have been writing about. Uh, what is going to happen to Mr. Paul Manafort now that he's been in his initial sentencing 47 months. Um, we don't know what he's going to get in the second round of sentencing, but the question is, what about a presidential pardon? Here is Sarah Huckabee Sanders. 
the president has made his position on that clear. He'll make a decision when he's ready. He'll make his decision when he's ready, she says. Sounds to me like he's made up his mind. What do you hear? Well, um, I I don't think that he's made up his mind. But when uh, Rudy Giuliani or other um, uh, Trump lawyers or spokespeople or mouthpieces keep saying, as the president does, that Trump hasn't made up his mind yet or that we're not considering um, any pardons for anyone at this time. That may be technically sort of kind of true, but the idea that pardon or Trump's pardon power is not on the table is fundamentally flawed, if not false, in terms of um, um, as a premise. Um, Because whenever he's asked about people like Paul Manafort, not just Paul Mm -hmm. Manafort, but um, perhaps especially his former 2016 campaign chairman, um, by meddlesome like White House reporters or whatever, are you going uh, to pardon Paul Manafort or are you considering it? Trump will uh, decline to take it off the table. He won't say he's going to do it, but he obviously will leave the door ajar for it. As she did. Mm -hmm. And the... um, the uh, thing with Manafort is he's someone who Trump used to actively dislike and berate, especially during um, the 2016 campaign when Manafort took the reins uh, post the Corey Lewandowski era. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump would uh, chafe constantly at Manafort trying to sort of stage manage Trump. He would get viciously annoyed by the guy. And it got to a point where uh, there just was no trust between him and the president. Uh, well, then future president mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Uh, he was pretty quickly booted from the campaign entirely. And he was someone who Trump came to quickly view as a nuisance and someone who wasn't a pure loyalist to him and someone he couldn't count on. Um, And then all of the investigations happened and the Mueller probe and Paul Manafort really did get under the gun of Robert Mueller and Robert Mueller's team. And he's the one who did did not cooperate with Mueller, at least least for a while. Right, kept back-channeling. Exactly. And... um, and that really did gain him quite a bit of cachet, not just in Trump world, but in the mind of the president of the United States himself. So he went from someone who actively disliked yeah. Paul Manafort to someone because of Manafort's sort of Loyalty. sketchy behavior during the Mueller investigation mm-hmm. to someone Mm-mm. who has even told people close to him, uh, I'm only lightly paraphrasing here, basically go out there and support uh, Paul Manafort. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing you're doing, having people raise questions about Paul Paul in the media and his treatment uh, in private conversations. He's decried uh, the federal government's treatment of Paul Manafort, uh, likening him to a political prisoner mm. um, who's being uh, jailed or indefinitely detained or whatever. So it's it's sort of a weird turn of events that this person who used to be persona non grata, at least in terms of the early days of Trump and the Trump White House, they tried to basically like airbrush him out of mm. uh, Trump history mm. um, in early 2017. To someone whose current situation, the way he's behaving, has elevated his stature in the mind of the one man who could potentially pardon him now that he's facing a lot of serious prison time. Right. So that's where we're currently at. It's premature to say if Trump would actually pardon Paul Manafort, but P- anybody saying it's actually off the table right now is spinning at best. And it seems that it would be... Um maybe shocking, if, as if anything Donald Trump says or does is shocking anymore, uh, and might get a lot of backlash, might get a lot of outrage. But 
you know, Donald Trump has gotten away with a lot so far. I mean, he he could, do you believe, still pardon Paul pardon Paul Manafort and get reelected? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think he could ride this out. Yeah, well, 100%. I, I mean, it's not the same th- thing because it doesn't have the cloud of uh, the Trump-Russia investigation and Team Mueller over it. But let's look at some of the individuals uh, President Trump has already pardoned. Um, he pardoned Joe Arpaio. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not the same types of crimes that um, but, Paul Manafort has been accused of or gone down yeah. for. But Arpaio is is a uniquely reprehensible, um, um, sort of wicked human being. And well, it's just like Trump can just wave the pardon wand, and then you know what? What are we supposed to do? Like kind of shrug it off? There's nothing really you can do. He has presidential pardon power. And and, and convicted. Um, another White House um, aide <laughs> has gotten a little, bit, a little bit of attention. Well, I should call him now. Former White House aide, Bill Shine. Mm-hmm. So he's. Um, Roger Ailes, deputy at Fox News, was yeah was uh, come uh, takes over sort of with at Fox after Roger Ailes is booted out, uh, and then he in, this, in turn is booted out of Fox, and he shows up as communications director, what number five I think or whatever, in the Trump White House. Mm-hmm. What happened? He's gone. Well, he was only there for about s- seven or eight months. Yeah. Um, this has been pretty widely reported, include, including by us at the Daily Beast, that um, Bill Shine was brought on to be a deputy chief of staff for communications in Trump's White House. Um, he, I don't think he ever attained communications director in title, but essentially that that's what his role was, to take over right. for uh, the Hope Hicks-sized power vacuum that existed mm-hmm. for a while on that West Wing. So he was brought in there primarily at least in Trump's mind, to gain him more positive, glowing media coverage. I, I don't know what that would even look like or how he would think that would be possible, except on the Fox News airwaves and other aspects of conservative say, media. Fox and Friends. Uh, but yeah, he was basically there to help manage the media and help shape the president's image and basically bring the glistening Fox News sh- uh, um, um, shimmer uh, mm-hmm. that Trump had known him to have brought to right. Fox News for so long during the Roger Ailes era and a little bit after it. And uh, Trump confidants such as Sean Hannity aggressively pushed Bill Shine, being like, you need to hire this guy as one of your top guys in the White House, maybe even chief of staff, which he never made it to uh, because he's great. Shine's my guy. Um, so President Trump last year did that. And um, it was actually funny because at the time, well, I don't even know if funny is the word here, but at the time, I reported that Trump was going around uh, telling people in the White House but, uh, shortly before he hired Bill Shine and when they were starting to meet privately and develop, I don't know if a rapport is the right word, but at least yeah. the startings of a professional, personal relationship, that uh, he felt really badly and sorry for Bill Shine because he felt that he and Roger Ailes got a really... Uh, uh, bum deal from Fox News and were ousted after all the facts were known. And basically he was going around saying that he thought Bill Shine was innocent of what he was accused of, which was basically covering up up year after year after year of sexual misconduct scandal and allegation that was uh, leveled against Roger Ailes when he was the Fox News chief. Uh, So this is, it was yet another instance of Trump not just, you know, um, 
disregarding all these allegations made against a Republican close to him or someone he hired or someone he was allied yeah. with. We can go with like uh, Roy Moore himself. Bill we can go down the list. There's a long list. It wasn't just that he disregards these allegations or these misdeeds. It's that he embraces the view that, oh, no, innocente. Mm -hmm. Def definitely didn't do anything. Which hunt for them just as it is for me. And he hired him in a uniquely powerful position in his White House. Now, less than a year passes, and Donald Trump is um, pretty not pleased and not happy with Bill Shine and the level of uh, media management and media image management that he's been able to bring to the Trump presidency. What objectively, why would the president be happy with it? Nothing has really changed mm -hmm. in the past right. seven or eight months or however long. So, but the idea that you blame that on Bill Shine and not on Donald Trump. You know, is pretty preposterous. Uh, right. Yes, very good point. Um, so, and it, um, it, for Bill Shine's part, he was also starting to get sort of frustrated and exhausted. It was hugely stressful for very little payoff. So it got to a point where, even though it would be Shine World spin to simply say, "Oh, they're leaving on the best of terms. He's moving over to the 2020 campaign just to serve a different role." He wouldn't be moving over to 2020. I think he would eat the stress if Trump loved what he was doing and there was tremendous success. Um, but at the same time, I think even Bill Shine got to a point where he was like, even he was maybe self-aware mm -hmm. enough to think, what the hell am I doing here? So he's moving over to Trump 2020. But the title they gave him was senior advisor, which is kind of a nebulous uh, right. title which sort of suggested and people have uh, uh, and sources have said uh, to me in the Daily Beast that it was essentially a consolation prize or a little trinket. Oh, you're a quote unquote senior advisor at the Trump right. 2020 campaign. If they were really serious about bringing Bill and his comms mastery over to Trump 2020, he would have gotten a title like senior comms executive or something like that. But that didn't happen. Right. Um, Aswin Subsang with us from the Daily Beast, the dailybeast.com. The story was broken by Mother Jones over the weekend. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether you've had a chance. My former to, employer. Your former employer. Mm -hmm. To read the accounts of uh, Cindy Yang, the owner of the spa in um, West Palm. The, the founder of the spa. She the founder of the spa. She doesn't, right. own, it doesn't own, own it anymore. Who, um, in addition to when she had the spa business, she also had another business of uh, introducing, visiting Chinese business executives to taking them to Mar-a-Lago and uh, selling access, basically, mm. to uh, to Donald Trump. Um, have you had a chance to look into this? I mean, this is a pretty... And then it turned out that she also maybe had another business with some ties to the Chinese government. Um, this is a little burgeoning scandal here or a nothing, nothing burger? Well, um... It's yet another uh, fascinating episode into sort of uh, Trump-era legal corruption. There's always been legal forms of corruption or what you and I, would, a reasonable person, yeah. would deem corruption in a political era or, or a presidential era uh, for basically any president. But in the Donald Trump era, what's unique about it and a little bit more um, openly grotesque is Obama didn't have a chain of Obama hotels or Obama casinos 
or the Obama Club in Florida, or the Obama International or, Hotel down the street from the White House, basically. or 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 steaks, or wine, or hat, or ties, or shirts, or you can go on and on. Right, right. Yeah. The, the Saudis yeah. couldn't patronize Obama's gigantic family business empire, uh, but with Donald Trump and his family, and in in a way, his administration, White House, there's a unique way to do that. And one of the ways, one of those emblems of Trump era legal, uh, if if not corruption, shall we say, influence peddling, if we're going to use mm -hmm. a polite term. Uh, there are places like the Trump International Hotel in D.C. and Mar-a-Lago, the president's private club, and um, um, down in Florida. And she certainly is far from the only person to use their six-figure access to Mar-a-Lago to get close to not just the president, but his family and other associates or close allies. And um, there's so if you are a business interest in the United States and you know someone like Cindy Yang, mm -hmm. uh, not just her, but someone like her, a Mar-a-Lago member who, when Trump goes down there, maybe gets to you know shake his hand and sh uh, uh, yeah. shoot the breeze with Donald Trump for a little while because the president loves doing stuff like that. Why wouldn't you want want them to either as a friend or as a business associate who you pay? Um, to introduce you to the president of the United States to press your case. It, it would make no sense for you not to do that. But, and you you and I look at this stuff, and it seems nakedly corrupt to us. And yes, I personally think it's scandalous. But this stuff will keep happening over and over and over again because the president was a uh, uh, has his business empire. <laughs> yeah, the presidency. That, it's, that it's, he still it's, makes a lot of money from. He does indeed. Hey, too bad we're out of time. Thanks so much for coming in. All right, great to see you. We follow you on Daily Beast, dailybeast.com. That's it for today, folks. See you tomorrow. Press show.